and this is episode 10 of Eating Cake on November 1st, and you are listening to us through the technological wizardry of both Anchor and Skype. And I am here with Ruth on the day after Halloween, on a glorious day in the Pacific Northwest. How are you, Ruth? I'm well, I'm well. Um, it's... Uh... It's certainly interesting out there in the world, but I remain well and I'm thankful. Yeah, and we're thankful to be here on the ancestral lands of the people of the Salish Sea. And in just beautiful weather today. Great. Yeah, but I have to say before... <laughs> we started recording, we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> so why don't you go into it, Ruth? Sure. As to why we just couldn't stop laughing for a while. Well, <clears throat> it has gotten crazy in the last week with uh, election coverage and everyone is uh, pushing their various electoral strategies and there's a lot more intolerance and it's just become quite uh quite a shit show if i may say so and uh laughing seems to be the only recourse sometimes to actually feel decently about the whole thing <laughs> well it's true i mean we have to we have to laugh i mean it's i mean it's definitely serious but really at the same time you have to you have to take a larger like a, a much more bird's eye view on what's going on because the details of like the chaos of the current situation is just it's unreal. Tragic. It's, it's tragic. tragic. I mean, in all honesty, if you don't mind me interrupting. Real no, quickly, not at all. Like, Please. Like I, I had a situation where one of my Facebook friends posted this horrible, tragic uh, tale that his wife had died of COVID died and he had lost her and and he then he pushed this electoral strategy of um of um that now you have to vote for biden and that he actually said that if we didn't vote for biden we were guilty of killing people through covid and like I can't even comment on a post like that because I feel too badly for the person to have any opposing ideas because I don't feel like that person was in a position to argue politically or have have any ideas other than just pure sympathy for the loss of his wife. But this is the state. It seems like the state that much of America is in is just this emotional, like, chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there... Everything is, has been so, not just, yeah, it's emotionalized. It's, there's lots of caricatures circulating. It's the polarization. And really, this is, I feel like this is what I would call, you know, the politicians and the oligarchs or whatever you want to call that, you know, the deep state, whatever, the ruling class, you know, the robber barons, <laughs> the I'll just keep going, like all of the above, you know, just emotion, like creating situations that emotionally hijack us. They're doing and, it on purpose. Sure. Yeah. And I was, you know, and this, this, this consolidation of power among the rich has just, happened for over, like for 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 over a century and I and I was I woke up this morning and just you know talked to my husband and I was like you know this feels really Dickensian I feel like I'm in a Charles Dickens novel where you know people are literally like walking the street you know wearing tatterns you know having the beggars bowls out and you know basically practically living on gruel so, and I'm not kidding. And like I said, for those of you who've heard me before griping about community mental health, you know, <clears throat> it's, um, this isn't, this is, it's not about community and it's certainly not about mental health. It's about something else entirely. So 
Yeah, it's just really wild. So I so I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about today among a ton of other strange and peculiar events that are taking place is really how to psychologically prepare for post-election. Mm, yes. Um, because from my point of view, you're like I'm just thinking about all the different permutations of what could be it's completely possible that Biden could win by mm-hmm. all kinds of maneuvering and, you know, stealing of votes or whatever. And it's completely possible could that Trump could win by various maneuvering and stealing of votes. So, like, <laughs> because it's the same political class. It's an oligarchy. So, yeah. So this goes back to our our situation of like being in a catch 22, a classic double bind, damned if you do, damned if you don't, they both suck, you know, to high heaven. And really, how do we prepare psychologically for what in either case could, you know, civil unrest is going to happen, you know, maybe an an increase in violence, whatever it may be. Um, I think it's important to to think about not just not to live in fear because that's what they thrive off of, but to live with dignity and joy. So I don't know what you have to um, we could talk, you know, think about in terms of like speculating how to live with joy and dignity, even in this time of crisis. Um, Well, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I I think the first thing I want to say is uh, about fear, because I think it's great. We need to focus on living with joy and dignity. But I think the understanding I have is that not only is fear supposedly people have said it's the most primal emotion, but I actually believe that it's not just the oligarchy who wants everyone running around like a chicken with their head cut off but the news media is really playing into this and playing up every single nuance every single utterance of trump they've painted him to be this like devil really and i think he's a bully and i think he's stupid and he's definitely uneducated and shouldn't be president but i don't see him as the devil that the media are making him out to be people think they're painting him as Satan incarnate and, and it's all based in fear. Um, But he is incompetent. He's really shouldn't be president, but on that end, neither should Biden either because he really helped um, bring in the rules that uh, Trump is running away with. So um, first of all, the recognition, I think that, even myself, we do so many things out of fear and that's, it's probably good to take, take a step back and, and sort of have calm because, um, one of the things I've been doing as the, uh, manager of a leftist Facebook group is, um, we've get people in who want to post all the time and repeat what the media is trying to like stir up this really great fear of the world ending and I don't think the world is going to end on Tuesday that's basically (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's going to end on Tuesday the the world is going to end on Tuesday for people who are invested in the polit in the in this in this level of like vulgar politics the protest politics the and I'm not talking about protesting on the street. I'm talking about this kind of you know Facebook slacktivism, protest politics that really if you're if you're part of the chattering liberal class, the intelligentsia, you're really invested because you're supporting and upholding an abusive system that you profit off of. Meanwhile, you know there are literally people on the street like begging for food and clothing like and this is what I'm talking about that it feels like I'm living in the Dickensian world where they just don't give a shit so they deserve to you know I I feel like they deserve to be quaking in their boots because nothing mattered 
to them prior to this in terms of like really doing really, really, really um, doing something that matters for everyone, like redistributive justice, um, taking people to task, holding, you know, not just trying to keep their own comfort, but actually care for other people. We live in such a careless society um, where we're only invested in our own comfort and atomized, strange, technocratic world. So, yeah, that's all I got right now around that. That's just, it's just nuts to me. And, you know, this is a reckoning. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to comment on your... um mentioning the chattering liberal class because I hear that over in England they they refer to that a lot and um, that makes me think about like to say who's going to be okay and who's not and if Biden gets elected for some reason the people who would be okay are the chattering liberal classes people I work with that's that's uh I'm not going to say where I work, but I work with the chattering liberal class. And they'll, oh, yeah, they'll be too. just fine. Fine. They'll just be fine. Nothing will change for them. They'll always be okay. I mean, they'll be okay if Biden wins. That That's just great. And the people who would be okay if uh, Trump wins are the, I think, uh, the red state people who are maybe born-again Christians who sort of follow the Trump train, as it were. Maybe they're not uh, cultish, like some people ascribe to them, but they they think he's a Christian. They think that he's going to try to make America great, whatever that means. They'll be they'll be happy with him, and and they'll be okay if they're middle class. The people who won't be okay in either either scenario are going to be the poor, the people who've lost their homes, lost their jobs, eat the gruel that you mentioned. And the people who won't be okay if uh, Biden wins, for sure, are going to be like the children overseas in countries we want to bomb. And um, Biden might free people from cages, the children from cages. But uh, if Trump wins, they'll definitely still be there. So either the children will stay in cages or children overseas will get bombed. And I don't see either one is really a good option. Yeah, I mean, you know, this country has dehumanized people for years, you know, and I, you know, it's, I think that's kind of like where I landed, like, this is a country that uh, considers itself exceptional, and, you know, is in the business of dehumanizing other people, and through the political parties, we've dehumanized each other, and that, for me is fantastically vile because we we need people who have different ways of living, thinking, you know, navigating the world. Like we all they all have skills that we we can contribute that could contribute mm-hmm. to a better future. So this these antics, like these bullshit antics of the talking heads, you know, the, and the chattering classes, which I'm just over it. And I, and I'm all about, you know, we need to really think about how we're taking back our power. I'm all for Robin Hood kind of (laughs) like stealing things back and, you know, seizing back our power, which actually takes me to some other, like, another bullshit piece, you know, of the world we live in. I just want to, I wanted to just gripe about this for a minute. Just, you know, humor me. I really, this goes back to the discussion of what we had last week about robbing us of our creativity. And I wanted to bring this up because I was like, those fuckers, you know, talking about job creators, like these super wealthy people are the job creators, you know, okay, fuck that. <laughs> I'm just saying it. You're you're stealing our creative energy and then repackaging it in propagandist terms as you're the fucking job creator when you're we're the ones with, you know, giving our intellectual you know if you're in the chattering class intelligentsia university settings like i am and in other spaces as well um 
you're giving your, you know, your, your blood, your sweat, your mind over to these institutions that actually can rob you of your creativity. So, and these ideas of like these robber barons being the job creators while people are basically, you know, living in anxiety, worrying about how to like get a roof over your head. And someone like Bezos has like a hundred, over like a hundred billion dollars or 200, some crazy ass number I heard this morning. All I could do was like shake my fist in the air. <laughs> you know, like what the fuck? Well, I I want to expound on that because not only um, are they using our creative potential and intellectual power, but traditional, if I'm not mistaken, traditional Marxism talks about how the worker, um, what they get paid for isn't nearly what they actually produce so that their employer can capitalize on it. For instance, maybe you have a job, you work eight hours a day, maybe you do labor, maybe you get paid for the first maybe 45 minutes of your day Mm -hmm. in what you actually produce for your employer, but the rest of the day, the profit you make from all the, maybe you lift boxes, maybe you uh, do warehousing, that profit (laughs) for seven hours and 15 minutes goes to the employer so they make all that profit off your sweat and toil so it's so it's the intellectual property and the demoralization that comes from being like someone having to be hired out and someone using (laughs) our mind and body and sweat yeah 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 I mean I completely agree and that's and that's and that's the hook, you know, we, what we're doing is selling our bodies, you know, we're renting out our bodies and we're renting out our vitality to people who basically devalue our bodies and our time. And that's what profit is. It's the devaluation, you know, it's, it's the, it's all that surplus value, you know, that's like caught up in, in the profiteering piece of um, the exploitation of our labor. So I just feel like, I feel like we need to really think about how to make these institutions and make these ridiculous, obnoxious job creators less relevant in our lives. And I know that that's exceedingly hard because they've colonized our minds and yeah. homes through Alexa and Siri and this and that, which is, you know, these tech technological devices are just fine. We're using them right now, but you know, when, when they colonize, and I'm literally using the word colonize for a reason, like this is about thinking about how they've colonized all of our spaces in order to enslave, enslave us more to their surveillance and technological systems, then we need to really think about how to disentangle our, ourselves from these systems and from these devices. So these are not benevolent people. They think of us in very um, abstracted notions of, you know, human resources, populations, you know, you know, workers, you know, you know, staff members when we're really just the peasantry to them. So I'm over it. Take your shit back you know, the best way you can and try to live and try to live in a way that makes life a little more tolerable and a little more joyful. And I think we're we're definitely going to talk about that in future podcasts, but I just wanted to um, bitch a little bit about that, you know, eat some cake, so to speak. You know, um, Oh, sorry. No, go please. Go ahead. So, yeah, um, I think that we are viewed not just as peasants, but just building blocks. We're not even viewed as like people. Um, My pet peeve for the week, 
uh, I don't know, uh, for those who still watch TV, there's commercials, they're mostly pharma industry now, or products like cars. So there's commercials now, um, there's this drug called Harvoni that treats Hep C. Um, Hep C has a cure now. Um, people don't have to die from it, but <laughs> the treatment costs $80,000 and it's not covered by insurance. So if, so they have this drug on the commercials Harvoni and talking, people with Hep C talking about how great it is they can take this drug and get cured and it's like one pill a day for like uh, 10 weeks or whatever. The, of course, they're not going to mention the cost or that people are going to have to like sell their house or somehow make payments for 80. They, they must sign up for payments or whatever. And yes, of course, there's limited help. But for the most part, if you are poor, you, you don't get to take this drug. You have to die from hep C. It's only the middle classes and up that die and every time they have this commercial I get so mad I like <laughs> I just get so angry it's like because because they're like this is the whole justification it's like that healthcare you have to be deserving you have to be a certain kind of person you have to make a certain income and it's like this is the the worst thing about capitalism I think is that that we don't think that everyone has a right to live, you know, and <laughs> oh, and there's another drug too. It's the drug for shingles. So shingles is a painful, painful condition, very painful. It's in the top 10 painful conditions you get. Um, it's from a childhood disease, I think, chickenpox. Chickenpox, yeah. And then it turns into shingles when you're 50 or older and people, I've heard people who've had it online and it's super bad you get sores all over and it's the pain is out of this world so they have an injection now that cures it it's there's a cure and there's a there's a <laughs> a shot you can get however like insurance doesn't cover it my insurance which is really the best insurance you can get because I work for an employer with fantastic insurance doesn't cover it so I haven't had it yet because I have to pay two or three hundred dollars out of pocket and I'm not sure if I can get that right now so and that's me with great insurance and a flexible spending account so people who don't have those options so it's not that you're gonna die without this but you're gonna have this horrible painful disease if you can't cough up that three hundred dollars and it's like the how can people even like live like we wonder how billionaires like good billionaires like Oprah Winfrey how can they live and still be a billionaire when all these people are like dying of hep C and can't afford a shot to prevent this horrible disease and it's like they at a certain level they don't even like understand that we're we're people with feelings and bodies and and uh, perspectives on the universe and that we are as important as they are. They just don't get that. So that's my pet peeve for the day. Oh, no, that's awesome. Because, like, you're telling me about, like, oh, my God. I was just, like, listening to you. I'm like, yeah, I've got an ax to grind with around, <laughs> you know, the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare, And I could go on. I teach a class about this, so I can go on for hours. You, nobody wants to hear me go on about that. But, like, I am so happy you brought that up because it rem I was talking to my husband again. I was talking to him about, um, you know, I have a prescription for prednisone, because every so often I have like some unknown mysterious aller allergic reaction. I think it comes, it, it's actually stress related and maybe it's even related to just like me being allergic to the society <laughs> like and how it gets under my skin. So I start itching quite a bit. And I remember I had this, you know, I had this off and on 
it doesn't happen very often, but it happens enough that I just do have some prednisone on supply, like a low grade, low dosage of it, like 2.5 milligrams. And through the insurance, it costed 59 cents. But I remember, and I have like, my insurance is really good insurance as well, just simply because I work, I actually do work for a university. So I have decent health care, but um, really, I remember when it was really expensive, and I rem- I also remember really distinctly in my in my 20s, I went to a doctor, and I was broke. I had, like, n- no health care. I had, like, I think I was even, like, unemployed at the time, and I was stressed out because I needed to actually find employment. And I broke out in hives and that's the prednisone was for the hives and the doctor wouldn't, and I was unemployed. So the doctor wouldn't cash a check from me because I had no money in my account at the time. And I was waiting and I knew like I was going to get some money the next day and I knew I was going to have it, but he actually didn't believe me and actually wouldn't see me because I didn't have any money in my account. Oh my God. Yeah. And he was like, well, you know, he, and I was trying to help get my friend to help me and she wanted to write me a check, but she was getting paid the next day too. So it was like, I couldn't get a fucking small ass prescription of prednisone because the doctor wanted his cut. And I literally could have, like, suffered from asphyxiation because I was getting actually hives in my throat at the time. So my history with, you know, doctors and pharmaceuticals, I'm just like, y'all need to just go all together because you're not out for actually people, like, not the individual doctor, but the collective, like, the actual you know, medical structures just drive people towards capitalism and not being compassionate, you know. So the more we can actually step away from these institutions and um, not actually be dehumanized or be looked at as objects of like, and, you know, again, I'm not a white person. So I'm sure he was already profiling me as a criminal as some kind of useless fucker who like all these, like all of these like imaginings about how inhuman I must be just simply because I have no money. Um, Just, you know, it actually led me on a path to really like do some really critical thinking about how I wanted to um, interface with doctors and how I actually don't see doctors and go to people who are much more naturopathic, um, who are much more, who are, who are more interested in compassionate care instead of these, you know, predatory careless doctors who actually just criminalize us, you know, and, and no wonder people think the medical institutions are racist and of course classist because they actually don't, they actually demonstrate, you know, discriminatory practices, practices of criminalizing people. And meanwhile, they're the crux trying to rob us of like our own, our vitality and won't actually help us, you know, in the way we need to be helped. So I'm there with you. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) You know, that's great. And, you know, back to the election, it makes me realize that like the people who want Biden so bad that are willing to like throw all these invectives at us. Um, the Democrats were the ones who had control and still didn't institute a Medicare for all policy. And, uh, you know, that could have turned America around. It could have started us in the right direction along with all the other successful nations. Um, but we're like the only one, as Bernie says, we're the only holdout who still sees people as expendable. Some people can die and the capitalist class just won't care. Yeah. So, yeah, they don't and they won't. And this is why, you know, I I keep coming back to we, we really do need to think about, again, 
post-election preparing ourselves for an alternative future don't um yeah i know it's really hard to not despair but like they feed off of our despair they feed (laughs) off of us being feeling trapped they feed off of us feeling like we well we have no other alternatives they feed off of the fact that you know People are just like, well, at least I have a job now and I have and I, I don't know what else to do. They feed off of us not not um, having security. So that like living in fear and, and anxiety is mm-hmm. actually to their benefit because yeah. it locks us in place. We're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. It's a classic double bind. You know, there's no way out except for saying we're not playing your game anymore. This is a game. So, no, I would I would also say the same thing and also add something like I I think that we have to make our own space apart from this sort of fearful world they're creating. But the other thing I think would be nice and that I'm trying to do is to attack the ideas behind this this way of viewing humanity as uh, sort of just a tool for them to make money, is to attack those ideas. Uh, attack them with creativity. Uh, I'm writing a novel that I'm trying to create like an imaginative world of what it could be like under a more benevolent um, way of looking at things. Um, attack the idea of like uh, that everyone's bad whatever you think is behind the cause for the inhumanity uh, do something to counteract it just don't just take care of yourself but also do something Um, write a poem uh, write a screenplay write a novel do a lecture anything I think Um, be proactive and and attack the very fundamental causes of the the way America is, the imperialism, the capitalism, the inhumanity, if you can. I mean, it's really hard because, like, I have a job and I can't – I have to make sure that I'm still employable. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. This is hard. It's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. And that's why, you know, and I think it's important to think about how – the the mentality that has reigned in the United States, you know, you're this lone individual. You pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You you're you get to the top by way of hard work. Yada yada yada. Blah 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 blah. It's actually like, well, no, you know, we're stronger through collect through a collective model. You know, it, we don't have to, of course. Of course, some people will take advantage of, you know, collectivity more than others, but there are ways to put that in check. You know, there's no, you can't just have people living, you know, individually with their computers and living in like a $1,000, $1,500 studio apartments and think that this is going to be a model that actually is healthy for people. But they, but that's not, but that's not the issue. The issue is, is that what you talked about earlier, Ruth, is that we're actually not people. We're, we're abstractions for yep. them. We're abstractions yep. of resources and productivity. So if you could slow down your productivity at work and not get caught or like find some loophole, I'm all for it. Slow the fuck down, man. Like seriously, just like do that foot dragging because that's a, that's another mode of resistance. And fundamentally we're all overworked. So it's not like we're even really foot dragging. We're actually all overworked and tired. So I talked to somebody this week who was basically just burnt, like completely just tired from just working too much. You know, again, the job caused stress. The stress affects their sleep cycle that, you know, it's related to anxiety. 
the people that they work with are fantastically different. I mean, I could, I could literally, that's like pretty much many people I see in my private practice. So you name it, you know, it can be quite miserable. So if that level of anxiety and the kind of pressure to produce is part of your work life, you know, take your mental health day, take that personal day, you know, just because you're working at home does not mean that you should not take your day off. Like, screw that. Take a sick day, you know, take that damn vacation so you could like get off screens and, you know, be with your kids, be with your friends, you know, go for a walk, um, you know, do some earthing, you know, I'll get all woo about this and be like, you know, just meditate or, you know, run in the forest or what, do your art, like just do something that actually vitalizes you and, pay less attention to the propagandist media because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's propaganda for the ruling class. So people will be productive basically in the end. That's what it's for. (laughs) Yeah. I'm slow down because I mean, this is like hardcore worker exploitation and not just the exploitation of people the exploitation of people like sentient beings. And I'm not just simply talking about humans. I mean, we can go back to that um, article. I, I think it was by Glenn Greenwald who was talking about like how, you know, this mass extermination of pigs, we just yeah. don't have respect for human, for life, life human or other ways. Yeah. Yeah. This is no. all about the extraction of resources. It's true, and and I have to say, future looking, um, it really doesn't matter who wins, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, because of global warming. Is, I mean, Biden himself said he's for fracking. So, right, the whole global warming issue, it's it's there, and it's gonna keep getting worse. And the watering hole that everyone's trying to drink from is just gonna keep getting smaller and they're going to start charging more and more. Water is no longer a free resource. It's it's part of the economy now, and um, everything's going to keep getting tighter and tighter due to global warming. So, you know, I'm, I'm an activist with Extinction Rebellion because I think that focus on is... Uh, is one I want to focus on and it's it's looming and the media doesn't talk about it here in America though yeah yeah and it's true and because they don't because we are uh, a, a country that operates on like deferred maintenance you know like everything is you know oh for the next administration oh, that's really not our problem. I shouldn't even say deferred maintenance. We externalize every issue as it weren't, as because, and create it and, and basically reframe it as it's not because, as if it is not our problem. So, you know, and that, you know, that in, you know, psychoanalytic terms is related to like, you know, we're we're not really acknowledging our shadow side, you know, in union mm. terms. We yes. we operate, you know, on largely unconscious motivations, things that we don't talk about. We're a highly repressed society. Um, there's you know, in terms of like not being able to talk about certain topics. I mean, for example, we we have 9,000 conversations about race, but don't really do anything about it, you know, and that it also serves as a proxy for class interests as well. And we don't, we absolutely don't want to talk about class until the, you know, the only thing we want to say is like working class and really use that as lip service, but actually don't really acknowledge like how, that kind of interest needs a great restructuring of society. And there were a few presidents that understood that. Um, and they had their own kind of selfish interests too. 
Um, but they did understand it. And this goes back to, we just keep doing things, you know, delaying the inevitable. And now we're back at this point, which I described earlier as this point in time of reckoning. We're just at a reckoning point. Yep. So, yeah, I feel like I've just kind of blabbed on around like so many of these things. But yeah, back to you, Ruth. No, I think I think uh, looking at Tuesday and the election, I think, uh, you know, just uh, for myself, remaining calm and pointing people toward the future of uh, sort of getting themselves away from this fear based uh, production and trying to take a step back as well as doing a little bit of good. So, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. So I'll, uh, you know, one of the things that I decided, um, for myself this weekend was, you know, uh, you, you participated in it. We always, you know, we have a tradition, you know, closely related to Dia de los Muertos, where, you know, I have an ancestor dinner where we talk about our family, bring, you know, think about what were some of their favorite dishes to eat or cook. And we cook those dishes in honor of our grandparents, our parents who've passed, or our aunties, uncles, you know, tios, whatever that... Um, where we're just coming together and acknowledging kind of our place in the world and how we relate to our ancestors and our future generations. And to not have that this year would, would, would have been really hard. And there's a lot of, you know, my friends and connections who are lonely. So I had it this year and, you know, we arranged it in a way where, you know, the food was inside the house and, you know, and, but most of the time we spent was outside by the fire so that we could actually connect with each other, have some food together and actually feel like we're just not living in our cubicles, like our domestic cubicles, because... (laughs) I mean, it does, you know, I I think about it sometimes. I think about how, you know, factory, factory, fa- factory animals, they're, they're in their cubes. We're in our cubes. I mean, so think about that kind of structure, that underlying structure of like, we're all being domesticated and dominated by these ruling classes in ways that, isolate us and actually compromise our immune systems because we we need to be in community with each other in order to heal so that was one of my strategies along with you know just trying to live a live a simpler life in terms of not like being overrun by politics not spending too much time on on social media, which I I think I, last week I called it a cesspool, you know, <laughs> but also using it for good, like using it for pretty pictures to laugh a little bit, you know, share funny memes, what have you, because it can be used for good, but it's also used for tyrannical purposes as well. So, Yeah. That ancestor dinner sounds lovely, and I think that's the kind of thing I think uh, that can bring sanity to the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I I mean, I felt, I, it's funny, because I felt like we were going to talk about other things, but it just seems like this was the stream of consciousness that needed to right. happen. Right, right. You know, acts to grind about pharmaceuticals, like oh being, in, being in community with people, and just kind of understanding that this system is not designed for people like us. It's designed for, you know, the perpetuation of power, money, and these kind of ruling, you know, like, some, I don't know, quasi-aristocratic families in the United States. So, 
Well, one more yeah. thing that I'll add yeah. real quick is sure. that uh, this whole idea of life that you're talking about where you get outside the system, outside the boxes, and sort of enjoy each other, that is actually the kind of life that these elites, the billionaires, enjoy. They, you know, they have their islands they go to to relax outside of any system, and they're they're considered worthy, and they're considered like um, high-end human beings. You know, their children don't have to be in cubicles. Their children have whole playrooms probably in the house and huge bedrooms and big yards, you know, big parks that they can go mm -hmm. play in. So it's not like they apply this philosophy to themselves. <laughs> right. No, absolutely true. It's it's and I don't necessarily envy that position because I don't actually think that's a healthy position either to have that level of excess wealth i think these are all right. um distortions yes. of and actual malignancies of the society but what you are saying you know from my perspective is and something i've thought about too is that we are not allowed to have leisure time mm -hmm. you know like that's the thing i like we're not allowed to rest we're not allowed to heal. We're not allowed to be. We're not allowed to play. Um, we're we're allowed to do self care, and actually consider that some kind of like restorative thing. But that's another kind of neoliberal um, mantra. You know, the yeah. mantra of productivity, the mantra of self care. Like, oh, you. Why are you, why are you, why are you depressed? Why are you sick? Oh, it's because you didn't take care of yourself properly. And that's a failing of you. It's not a failing of this shitty ass system. It's a failing of you because you have not learned how to discipline yourself in a particular way. So, Yeah. I, I like, I'm laughing I'm like, because I'm sorry, you're so I'm right. so sarcastic. <laughs> I can't it's help but so be true. sarcastic. <laughs> but, you know, you're right that even, like, healing has to be done on an expedited basis. I mean, there's no time to take a year away from everything to get yourself together mentally. For instance, like, 20 years ago, I knew a couple um, – and that they were in another country and there was some revolution and they had to come home. And the woman was experiencing suicidal thoughts and depression and they she went into a hospital. So she wasn't, after a few weeks, she wasn't healing, so they gave shock treatments. And the thing is, it's like in a better world, she would take a year off or two as needed and she'd sit around and drink tea and read books or whatever she wanted to do but if you aren't getting better in a week or two this is what we're gonna do and it's right. like that's the severity <laughs> right and that's the thing and I mean you know in in the training um by some native counselors that I'm involved with healing you know is beyond space and time it's in it lands in the quantum realm it's not linear and we actually need to like step away from this expectation that you know um healing is actually it's not and in capitalist medicine it doesn't even allopathic medicine is not about healing it's about symptom management because really, so let me just go back to that and say, you know, they, the medical industry, the medical industrial complex is a better way of framing it, um, is about symptom management. It's not about healing. And, uh, you know, it's about that quick fix, that kind of like that mechanical way of addressing the human body that is not you know, located in a holistic model of like healing the emotional body, 
the physical body, the mental bodies, the the spiritual bodies, whatever whatever way you want to kind of frame it, but it's that holistic perspective where you know again that injury to one actually is an injury to all because it throws the entire system off in a particular way so so again we we are situated in a in a world in a society that wants to fragment and segment everything and then say that you know it's an individualized problem you know you're not you're not taking care of yourself that's really your fault you don't have money to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's really your you know, fault. that's a that's your personal failing. And if you just get your get your ass in gear and learn how to discipline yourself better, then you could be a fantastic, you know, worker bee drone and do what you're supposed to be doing, which is like feeding the monster of capitalism. So <laughs> Oh my God. That okay, like, so, that's so true. I'm like, so, okay, I'm like totally like being sarcastic and truthful at the same time. But, you know, this is just years of like witnessing, you know, psychological and, you know, structural violence against people where these institutions just like, again, chew people up and spit them out and expect mm-hmm. them to be like, yeah, we're good with that. You know, and, that's exactly and, where we want to be. And it's so bad that people just feel thankful to not be killed by the system. I mean, that's how bad it is. It's like I'm walking down the street. At least the cops aren't shooting me dead. You know, that's how bad it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm walking down the street. At least the cops aren't. And, it, and, that's, uh, and that's, that's the danger, you know, of this kind of society because – it literally replicates, you know, I think that's really it. And I don't know, like, this kind of, like, the moment, you know, colonialism happened. I don't, I wish I could go back in time and really kind of see when this rupture happened. But there is a piece here that replicates, you know, the, you know, and we've talked about this before, it, it replicates a DV situation, a domestic violence situation, you have to ask your abusive partner to not abuse you. And then how are you going to get out of that situation? If like that, if you're asking your abuser to stop hitting you or to stop beating you or stop, you know, psychologically abusing you, like what, how do you ask an abuser who, who actually feeds off of the abusive structure to liberate you. You can't. You just have to walk away and say goodbye and good riddance because so this kind of like, oh, we're going to move the Democratic <laughs> Party to the left and like we've got to vote for Biden and, you know, he's movable and the, D, the DNC is it's movable. Actually, is it really? Because if if it was removable, they would have moved already. Yeah. You know, 40 years of my life, they haven't moved already. They're just not moving because they don't need to. They actually benefit from these abusive structures. So stop asking your abuser to help you because they won't. I mean, I think this is, this is really the message. You know, this is, this is related to patriarchy this is related to institutions they actually aren't there to help people they're actually there to consolidate and preserve power you know the word institution is actually related to standing still you know not changing it's also the same word Mm -hmm. the same latin root of the word solstice so this kind of like you know standing still this kind of moment in time where things aren't moving so just all of like think about the way in which we live in abusive structures that actually also cause us you know unfortunately to pass on various traumas and abuses to other people because we're trying to scrounge our way through life um and actually decreases our compassion as well 
So yeah, I, you know, that's just a random thought that kind of goes through my mind every time I think about why it's so hard to engage in a system that I have contempt for because it really feels fundamentally like it's like we're in a DV relationship and have to ask the, the, the abuser for to stop hitting us, you You know, know, so yeah, go ahead. I know we're running out of time, but I think you hit on something because I've heard, I've heard it compared to an abusive relationship with politics, especially the, the DNC. And, and I think what it boils down to is that um, the difference between like a leftist and someone who still hopes that the DNC will come around and that Biden will be pushed left is this perspective of like trying to fix a relationship versus letting go and realizing something for what it is and realizing that there's really no option to, you're not going to change this person. They're going to keep hitting you or abusing you or whatever. And you just have to walk away and find find other relationships, find something for yourself, you know, that's what it boils down to. Right. And, and that's a hard path, you know, I mean, because we're so conditioned to believe, you know, through propaganda, through, you know, socialization and just by living in this world that these, these systems are designed to help us. And they're not, they're really not. They're designed to consolidate power and to preserve it among particular classes. And, and no wonder the quote unquote conspiracy theory floats around because if we all, if we can see how these systems aren't designed to help us, then we have to wonder like, what exactly are they designed to do? So no wonder, there's no wonder. (laughs) They're not helping us at all. They're not helping yeah, thousands <laughs> of theories like float around, you know, in cyberspace in our I own know. minds, you know. Yeah. So, but we're at the we're at the top of the hour. Yeah, yeah. But um, I wanted to read a poem oh, if that's great. okay. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, and this is a uh, this is actually one of my favorite poets, Joy Harjo, and Ooh, yeah, she's great. She's amazing. And I'm reading from, and she's just to let you know, I'm just going to read a little bit about her. Joy Harjo is an internationally renowned performer and writer of the Muscogee Creek Nation and was named United States Poet Laureate in 2019. And I'm reading, I'm going to read from her book, Conflict Resolution for Holy Beings, because we were talking about feeding feeding certain entities and feeding certain monsters. And I actually realized that, yes, this thought is connected to one of her poems. And I'll read it right now. It says, do not feed the monsters. Some are wandering thought forms looking for a place to set up house. Some are sent to you deliberately. They come from arrows of gossip jealousy or envy, and inadvertently from thoughtlessness. They feed on your attention and feast on your fear. Oh, that is beautiful. Just gorgeous. Yeah. That's a great ending to this podcast. Yeah, cool. So I'll leave the last bit up to you in terms of saying goodbye and how we want to exit. All right. Well, um, to all our beautiful friends out there, be well. Um, Don't give up hope. Uh, Voting is good if you can do it. Um, Be healed and be part of something good. Exactly. And remember... Don't feed the monsters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, everybody.